Rosie is in the room sleeping on the bed right next to me, so there is a small chance you might just wake up and start freaking out because she's very unpredictable. Um, so just want to throw that out as a disclaimer. But otherwise, yeah, we can jump in. This came to me for two reasons. One, we've spent a lot of the last two times we've talked, like trying to make me feel better about some of the things that frustrate me about my career choice. Like, I'll be totally honest. I, I feel like this has selfishly been like literal therapy for me in, in a way. Um, and, and it ultimately comes down to like, this is a choice career that you and I both made, especially as two people who didn't like go to business school to get a degree to go build products or build businesses. We decided to deliberately change what we were doing for some degree to another to do this thing. Also, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of stuff on LinkedIn about people really promoting the idea of it being really easier than ever and more compelling than ever to start a, pro a career in products. And I just find myself asking like, what, like, why? Why is it so appealing to people? Is it actually appealing to people? Is it appealing to people who don't know like the real day to day? And I just find myself musing on that a lot. And I just figured I'd want to talk about it with you. I have so many thoughts and I'm sure you do too. Yeah. Yeah. So like the quick recap here is like my path was finance to being a founder to doing kind of like project management at startups. And that's where I discovered product management. Um, and then I got into product management a little over four years ago, uh, full time. And I think for me, the, uh, I, I looked at my career leading up to finding product management a lot as like kind of playing an elimination game of sorts of trying to figure out the things I don't want to do um, as a way of almost like narrowing in on what I do want to do. I went really deep into finance, realized I actually don't want to work in finance and um, I have a master's in finance and it was definitely somewhat of a big change for me to divert my path from the finance path to like elsewhere. But um, I think it was just good to rule out all of the finance paths early on. Um, I was analytical. Um, I've always been analytical, like numbers, like data. I think that when I discovered um, design and I discovered engineering, I, I took a coding class and I was like, you know what? I really like designing things, but I, I don't like coding. I don't want to become an engineer. So I ruled out the engineering path, but there was something about design that appealed to me. So I was like, okay, I like data. I like numbers. And I also like design and, and like user experience. And, and I also am like super curious and ask a lot of questions. And I'm, I'm kind of like a, I, I approach a lot of things with like a beginner's mindset and I don't assume I know a lot. So when I joined a startup, mostly working on like customer support related projects, I really liked the aspect of talking to users. But what I, what I wanted that I wasn't getting was the ability to make decisions uh, based on the things that I was learning uh, from users. And I think you alluded to something similar as well, that you didn't want to just be influencing the product. You wanted to actually, like we, we had an episode titled, You Could Do This Job. I think it was our first episode. And um, I, so I think you and I both kind of had similar, maybe like aha moments that, yeah, we could maybe do this job. And to me, it was going to be another one of those things that I was going to try. And if I don't like it, I was going to just go on and do something else but for some reason it actually stuck and i i the more i've gotten into product management and the more i've learned about it and the more senior people i've met in product management yourself included and also people that are like way older than you and me and uh, who are like in executive roles in product um have a certain 
they've, they've left us these experiences and interactions have left a certain taste in my mouth that it wants me, uh, it's, it's making me want to get better at this rather than find something else to do. That is very, <laughs> it's a very optimistic note to end your spiel on. For me, I also fell into it kind of happenstancely. That's not a word. But I think the reason why I got into it, some of which are similar to you, some of which are not. Like, I also am a very naturally curious person. I mentioned multiple times to you in the past, I tinker with things obsessively. I'm like looking for things to do this afternoon that are in that line of work, I guess. But I think like I, I have not historically considered myself an analytical person in the same way that you describe yourself. Like I've always been like good at math. I've always been interested in numbers. I, you could argue that having a background in music is a very kind of mathematically inclined creative pursuit. But I've also just really liked the sort of psychology and human factors aspects of products. When, when thinking about like choosing product as a formal career path, that's a thing that often comes out is like how to do user research, how to do contextual kind of human factors based research to guide product management. But to me, I see a lot of people on LinkedIn this is going to just probably devolve into a, a rant about LinkedIn. I, I'm calling it now. People with sort of business degrees or engineering degrees just kind of wanting to move into it. I'm, and I'm not really sure why. I've interviewed some people who are ex-engineers and have gotten into it because they wanted, they, they were really curious or really interested in wanting to kind of get closer to the business side of the work that they were doing as engineers and and have a role to play in the forming of strategy around the product they were building or the architecture they were working on, whatever it is. But in keeping with my theme of, I don't know why I do the thing that I do, I find myself asking like, why is that appealing to people? It's a very daunting role to play. You don't always have as much say as you think you do. You might. You're, you're ending up playing a lot of different roles that get you kind of removed from the work in some ways. Like I've said to you in the past, like I like my, I like having my hands in things. And a lot of the work in product management is around like enabling other people to have their hands in building things rather than having your own hands. Um, and you need to do that in order to be successful. So I find myself asking like, what is the appeal? And is that appeal kind of properly conveyed in circles of people who are interested in getting people into the field i i don't know well i think what's really important to point out is that uh in my in my experience as a pm at um i guess technically two companies and i'm about to be the, to be my third company um and i say technically two because one got acquired so it's like you could make the case that it was three but um really two different teams that i've been a pm on and they were very different experiences and unlike engineering um, or other kind of like more straightforward disciplines, um, I find that product management is super contextual to the company that you're doing product management in. Oh, 100%. Um, so I feel like a lot of the people who've never done product management who think that they know what product management is, um, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, I think they're just a little naive. Um, and I think that 
even I, I admit that I'm naive to what it's like to be a product manager at literally every other company other than the companies that I've been a PM at. So um, when we talk about product, I think it's just important to kind of do a little check-in on the definition, right? Because product management is not the same everywhere. It's very different at like a small startup. I've mostly been a startup PM. I was the first PM twice. So uh, I have no idea what it's like to be a product manager, literally when there's any other product managers on the team before I join. Um, and I feel like I'm about to join a product management organization that has, spoiler alert, hundreds of PMs. Um, and that narrows in the pool of who I'm going to go work at. And we'll talk about that in the next episode. But I have no idea what that's going to be like. And I think it's going to be a very different experience than what I've done to date. Now, why people are drawn to this? Well, I think product in general is like one of those things that in software, you kind of have to get it right for a lot of, especially in consumer software. There's like sales, marketing, product, customer support, right? There's like key functions that you need to like run a company. And I think that we're currently seeing this like, renaissance of product-led companies um for a while you could make the case there are a lot of like business-led companies there's certain companies that are like operational-led companies um but technology-led companies technology yeah but everything is technology now right and what oh is for sure uh other than software and and the truth is that like any company that's tried to scale software development teams realizes that at some scale of humans you need some management of um, kind of like what we talked about, I think, an episode or two ago around how PMs are there to make sure that the right things are being worked on at the end of the day. And if you don't have PMs, you have something else that is still serving the same function of PMs. Someone has to be playing that role of figuring out what to build and, and how to tie it up to like the, the larger organization's goals and strategy. So I feel like that job just has always been happening in any team that's been building software. I think we're just kind of in the nascent stages of the formalization uh, of that function into something called product management. Um, and I think it's going to evolve a lot over the next uh, few years. But I think, and I think that's one of the main appeals is being, being at the table of, um, at least theoretically being at the table of deciding what to work on. And you and I both know that the reality of it is often very different. You don't really get to decide what to work on all on your own. But yeah. it's, uh, does any of that yeah. resonate with you? Um, 100%. Uh, it, there's a lot to unpack there. I think there, there, there's a couple things sticking out in my mind. One is the idea that like this is a field that is kind of evolving. I would say it's been evolving for years. I mean, it's been evolving probably since the 80s or the 90s when tech companies building hardware were trying to establish who calls the shots on the development of the product separately from the development of the business. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Halt and Catch Fire. It was a four season drama on AMC, I think. Um, I haven't finished I, it, but I watched most of the first season. Should I, yeah. is it continuing? It's an excellent show. I would yeah. totally recommend finishing it out. There's only like four seasons and they're pretty short. Um, but I think in like halfway through the first season, there's a, line that like i laughed out loud when i heard it called out where the main characters like asked like what right do you have to be hauling the shots what what's your title and he just like on the spot makes up the title product manager and i'm sitting there like dying laughing being like oh that's like probably half jokingly where that term was invented when 
someone who felt like they understood the potential user of a personal computer more than the business owners themselves who are focused on profitability and marketing and sales needed a way to legitimize his seat at the table. So I would say it's evolved from that to more consumer hardware into consumer software, into web software, into mobile software, into server side software, into software platforms. It's like gone completely past where it originated. I think the thing that I'm really feeling a little bit unsettled on, yeah. and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's really all about the expectation setting that you were kind of alluding to earlier, which is like, it feels like it's becoming a hot idea for a lot of people to fall into that field, this field, because they either think that's the next natural career uh, step in their career path, or they want that seat at the table. Mm. Um, and that leaves me with two questions. One is actually three questions. One is, is every one of those people a good fit for that role? Mm. Second is what happens when so many people end up taking positions where they're expecting a seat at the table, who loses their seat? How does that work? You'll learn a lot about this in a company where there's hundreds of product managers. I will tell you, having worked at a company with hundreds of product managers, you're finding yourself negotiating not just with your stakeholders and your users, but other product managers more often than those other people. The third thing I'm concerned about is like, if that is what people's, if that notion that it's a next step in your career for those people who want to join product management, where do they think it goes? Yeah. Because um, I find myself asking that myself, which is like, I've been, you've been doing this for four or five years. I've been doing this for like eight years. And I'm like, am I looking for a VP role? Am I like, do I want to manage other product managers? Do I want to manage like a really, really big, messy, complex product? Do I want to found my own product? Like, I, I don't know. Um, do, I, are people interested in this field? even thinking about things like that? Um, and do the people that they talk to get trained by, like what's the what's the discourse for talking about that stuff? Yeah. That, that was, was a let, lot, let's go, I know. Let's go through each of those. And I think that there's also, um, I think there's another motivation for coming into product management that we that that could probably like inform, like we can hold it in the background as we answer these questions, which is also that, um, if you don't have a software engineering degree and you don't have like a hardcore technical skill set, like uh, you're like a product designer or like an engineer, for the most part, there's very few uh, career paths that I think can be as lucrative compensation wise as product management um, for for like business people uh, who also like being involved in software. And I think that that's important to hold as well because I think if compensation for product managers was like half of what it is uh, i think we'd be seeing a lot less people going into the field i'd say that's probably true for any field that's getting a lot of interest like in, if, if software engineers were paid half of what they get paid you'd be seeing a lot less people going into that same for design etc but i think i have that, something to say about that that i want to come back to yeah yeah um you can add it now or we can get to it after we go through these questions but i think this is super interesting yeah the thing that i find interesting about the the money side of it is compensation and product is so highly variable depending on the type of company, size of company, location of company, um, and culture of company. And I think that there's a lot of people who either 
don't understand that are surprised when they learn it or maybe get different notions of what the what the job could be depending on which decision they which path they choose to take so for example like i've worked at tiny startups where i make a lot less money than i did working at a very large company where i was partially compensated in equity but that came with all the other strings of working in a company like that and if i wanted to leave and go work at a smaller company for the culture of things there are very significant implications for that financially and to add on to that there's different like there's there's the market demand is very different if you go out to say europe where product managers are compensated way less than they are in the us and that, that might even be common knowledge at this point if you just go on angel list or something you'll see that pretty clearly um so yeah i think if people who are interested in the field are thinking that it's a financially lucrative thing like know that those things are realities um because otherwise you're going to see that and be very confused and or stressed out totally i think it's a super super good call out and um just to, like some backdrop to why i kind of talk about that is one of the things that led me to, to product amongst like other things that i've obviously enjoyed about it is i was on a when I, when I joined uh, Life360, I was working on a lot of customer support related projects initially before I really kind of started fully going down the path of becoming a product manager. And for a period, I had actually, um, I'd been considering potentially a career in customer support. Like I saw it as like something that I enjoyed doing. Um, it was clearly a, a space that had a lot of leverage for companies that are trying to be customer driven um deeply deeply involved in like communication and process which i love and um the truth is that i talked to our compensation committee at the company and wanted to try to like figure out where this could take me and um was shocked by how limiting uh just being under the customer support umbrella was from an industry-wide uh perspective of comparable salaries from other companies and I, I had the exact same experience like seven or eight years ago. So uh, it, I'm not surprised that you did because it's like, I'm, I'm imagining that this is why um, I, I think that customer support is one of the more underrated aspects of the startup world or technology or any businesses really like companies that have amazing customer support that adds a ton of shareholder value to those companies. And I think it's very hard to build like very reliable, very re resilient, uh, very resourceful customer support organizations. But as, as I imagined myself potentially becoming a head of customer support or a VP of customer support somewhere one day, I just asked myself, is that gonna, is that gonna allow me to grow in the ways that I'd like to grow? And I realized that there's a certain level of um, compensation that played into the equation along with all the other things that we talked about. like being able to actually influence what we ship to customers. Uh, customer support is a voice in the room, but it's not actually calling the shots. Whereas when I, I think when you get to like chief product officer, VP of product, head of product, I think that's actually where you start getting into the territory of actually making some pretty big decisions about what's going to happen to the product. And um, we had a interim head of product join us at Life360 named Gib Biddle, who uh, ran product at Netflix for I think four years from 2006, 2010, when they made the switch to streaming. And then he went over to Chegg and ran product at Chegg as chief product officer when they went public. 
he came and spent three days a week running product at Life360 while we looked for a full-time chief product officer. And he uh, taught me and, uh, and the team at Life360 a ton about um, just like what career paths are available in product, what he's seen work um, as he's mentored other PMs and built product organizations. And I was like, wow, like this is actually a path that I could see myself not only growing um, from a like financial stability perspective, but this is like immensely interesting to think about what it might be like to work at Netflix when they're a DVD only business and you're trying to make a decision about whether to go into streaming or whether how you want to view Redbox and how do you want to view Blockbuster and like just that level of strategy was like super interesting for me. And I think that that's kind of some of the main appeal, but I know we, we've gone on a bit of a tangent from the, the three questions, but I think it's a really interesting it's interesting for someone who's listening who might be wondering whether they want to go into product to hear why you and I went into product. And I think it's it's kind of telling. Yeah, for sure. I think I think there's a ton that you can learn from someone who's been in the field for a long time, obviously, and having a resource like that was super invaluable. I did like similar experience with the VP of product at the little music startup I worked at for a while, who's now the, I think, VP of customer experience or customer product at Wix.com. And yeah, learned a ton about like the the different levers you can pull in terms of not just product strategy, but also business strategy as a head of products. I think my motivations were a lot more kind of elementary than that. My motivations were really just about like being able to just like actually make enact the change that helps users rather than kind of playing that customer success role in um, helping helping them in the moment, finding workarounds, hearing their complaints. Um, yeah, I it, it's the same things, but I guess for me, I kind of felt them on a different level. Mm. But yeah, I think I there's there's probably a lot of people out there think like having seen that, having read these like great blog posts by wonderful business and product leaders and being super inspired by them and looking at their career where they're probably like, oh, they were a head of product before they became like founder of this amazing company. I want to do that. Um, and I think the the point that you brought up earlier is super important one to bring up, which is like doing products at that company at that time is probably vastly different than it would be at any other company at any other time. So like how, how can we as fellow product managers in the community, I guess, like talk more realistically about that stuff? Or is that something that people even want to hear? Like I, I get freaked out, or not freaked out, I get annoyed when I see all of these like training courses, I put in air quotes that people are advertising that people can sign up for, for like pay, pay us $2,000 and we'll get you on this 10 week course where you can learn all of the like critical skills you need to have as a product manager. And in my experience, it's not about that. It's about learning experientially. It's about meeting people. It's about that like variety of experience in different companies at different times and different levels and applying those learnings in new places. Um, like everyone jokes about how you have to fail constantly to learn. And like, this is one of those fields where like, that's not just like a thing that's encouraged. Like that's the, that is in my opinion, at least the only way to learn and grow into a role like this. So 
yeah, I just get concerned that people are getting the wrong expectations. <laughs> yeah, and I actually I'm working on a uh, a blog post that I just pulled up because I think it has an interesting um, one section of this blog post is so it's a blog post about my recent job search that led to me accepting this job and. Um, it's kind of like a way to bootstrap your PM job search in a way. And some of the questions that I, I listed, and I think this might be interesting for, for listeners to get a sense for why a bootcamp might not, like a bootcamp or some kind of like $2,000 online course or whatever, isn't going to really prepare you or set you up for success in these interviews, at least, is a lot of the behavioral questions that you get a sense in interviews. Here's some of like the types of questions, like, Tell me about a time you had to make a technical trade-off and how you decided about it. Tell me about a time you disagreed with an executive and how you navigated the situation. Same with an engineer. Um, tell me about a time you had to earn the trust of your team. Tell me about a big failure. Um, tell me about the toughest feedback you've received as a PM and what you've done to like work on that. Um, have you ever had to give tough feedback to someone on your team? What's a project that you shipped that you're really proud of? Like, if you just take a $2,000 class online and it's like an eight week class or whatever, and you get asked those questions and that's like, you, you might struggle to actually answer some of those questions because you don't have like real stakes experiences to pull, to point to. Now, like a lot of things, I think getting into product is like, it's hard and it's, it's not, it's supposed to be hard because like anything in life, Things that are worthwhile require a certain amount of challenge and adversity to like get in. Um, and they also test your test your willpower to actually get in. And I think that for me, getting into product, um, I've interviewed at many, many companies before I finally got my first product manager role. And I came in as an associate product manager. Um, I was the only product manager at the time, but title and compensation wise, it was a junior entry level PM role. And I took that role and I, I leveraged that role and that ended up being a good role for me to, you know, a year after I joined, we got acquired by Ford and then I stayed two years after the acquisition and the rest is kind of history. But I think the point is that uh, even now in this most recent round of interviews, I got asked some of these questions and I, they're, they're challenging questions to answer because they require some real experience. So and not And not just experience, but the ability to like, process and go back in your brain to past events and ha and be able to like reflect and and have those events stick out as like useful learnings um you said before if you're kind of if you're in one of those interview situations you might not have the experiences to point to to answer questions i also frankly think that the experience of building up a product management career gives you it, it like exercises your brain in a different way than theoretical training does to actually think critically about how to answer a question like that, like how to explain a fast failure, how to even process failing and and pivoting from failure. Um, whereas like situational opportunities like that don't come out of, um, yeah, taking a course. Yeah. So to get to the list of questions, because I think these are interesting. I think your first question, I didn't write them down, but my memory, I think, is the first one is, is this for everyone? Should like, could everyone do this job? Yeah, that was part of it. I, I, I think about engineers that I work with or, or that I have worked with to be more kind of general and not just engineers, but like anybody and everybody who wants to maybe be a product manager. And I have talked to a lot of people who have come to me and say, I think what you're doing is really, really interesting. And I want to learn more about what it's like to like embark on a career like this. And not that I want to ask them the as a first question, are you sure? 
But there are some people who are probably better fit than others or might require a little bit more um, kind of brain rewiring. I can't think of a better word than that. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think about it a lot. Well, nothing is for everyone, right? I, th I don't think there's any job that like I'd say everyone should should like do that job or this job is the right thing for everyone tell you for sure there's a bunch of jobs i should not do slash could not do um in a lot of ways you might i could make the case that product management might be one of the only jobs i can do uh, in a startup on a like some kind of sustainable basis um, other than customer support which just wouldn't pay you enough <laughs> and and wouldn't give me the strategic impact that i'd like to have from like a like i feel like Customer support can be a kind of like a lobbying function uh, on behalf of the customers internally, but product management can be a function that not only influences the roadmap, but shapes it directly. Um, and I, I, I know this about myself. Like I grew up playing a lot of like video games or strategy games on my computer, anywhere from like championship manager, which is like a football manager simulation that you don't even see the ball moving on the screen. It's all about setting up the team and trading players and motivating them and stuff. And it's like, I, so I, I've been doing this and like playing like command and conquer, like and setting up bases. And I was never like an amazing, like strategy player of video games, but I always like really enjoyed strategy. And I, like we talked recently, got into chess and I just love, I love planning multiple steps ahead and trying to figure out how to make a good plan. Um, I think like just like making a good plan for something is really fun. And when it actually plays out, it looks like magic to some people, but you know, there's nothing magical about good planning. It's just like a lot of really hard work and, and thought process. Well, um, Ben, that leads me to a question. Why are you not a project manager? So not every company has project managers. I actually was a project manager at Life360 as my official like entry level title. Um, I don't think I, I feel like project management and program management um, and product management can be used interchangeably at various companies. Um, they're just like words, but I think that the the term that uh, seems to be kind of emerging as like the the thing that really includes like the strategic alloc like when you actually have the engineering resources, you actually have the design resources, you actually have your own roadmap. Um, that seems to be kind of a product manager thing. Um, a lot of program managers that I'm, I, I know and project managers I know don't actually have like long term roadmaps that they're responsible for or like customer themes that they seem to like actually have their own dedicated team for. Um, kind of like more modular pieces of the puzzle in my experience, whereas product yeah. management kind of like pillars. Um, I think, yeah, I think that'll, like you were talking earlier, I think that will depend on the company. I've worked with program managers. I actually could argue that I was a program manager for a year at Wayfair because I didn't actually own a discrete product. I was helping to enable programs and delivery experiences, whatever you want to call it, with the help of products and with the help of a cross-functional engineering and operations team um, in which I did have a strategy I was chasing and uh, a fair degree of influence over not just kind of the business strategy of that small piece of the puzzle, but also the product teams and the products that I was working with in order to realize that set of that, that strategy. Um, but to your point, 
I think that that will vary based on the company. Um, and I think to your point, it, it, it's it's almost worth thinking about all of those titles rather than sorry i was i was trying to gauge whether or not to laugh or comment on your sneezing while i was talking and the fact that you were muted it was really awkward for me <laughs> but i'm muted now but i didn't sneeze i feel like it came and then it went away again if i, yeah, have to I sneeze, hate when that happens i, I won't mute I'll, I'll keep it on the the mic if i have to sneeze again no it's fine <laughs> i've already done that twice my allergies are real gnarly these days but yeah i think like there there's merit to each of those possible titles product program projects even like technical project manager there's so many different titles that could lend themselves to the same skill set the same amount of strategic influence or complete lack thereof mm. that um it's worth thinking about them almost as one and the same, and it, and it becomes almost more important to research the company and the culture of the company and the way that it makes money yeah. rather than like looking for the title explicitly. I, I will tell you, like I worked, I've worked with so many people who did product management or were product owners in quotes at other jobs where they really just like scrum masters or very, very low level project managers. And then when they came into a more strategically oriented product team, they just, completely fell in over their heads and failed out after like three, four months. Um, Why do you think that was? Frankly, because they didn't have the skill set or any experience to like play in a more strategic role because their understanding of what a product career was, was very different than the expectations of that new company. Um, which is why I, I go back to the point that I just made, which is like, one, it's almost more important to research what product is or program management or whatever is at that company than it is to just look for the title. And I think about, like, again, the hype around this career path and the supposed training opportunities and communities that are being built around this. And it feels like there's a lot of discourse that's just around tips and coaching and training when to me, like none of that really matters. It's just about experience and learning those differences and being able to make decisions uh, in an educated fashion for yourself as to how you can be best successful. I feel like, frankly, I'm more successful in my role because I'm able to be thoughtful about how I am successful or not, rather yeah. than the fact that I've done it. Like I lend more to my success, the fact that I've worked for four different companies than the fact that I've been doing it for eight years. If I've been yeah. doing it for eight years in one company, I don't think I'd be very good. Oh man, I, now you're getting my juices flowing. Cause it's like, I, I think that what's really critical, um, the reason experience is so valuable is because you find out ways that ways to do things that actually work. And then you find out ways to do things that didn't work in a particular scenario. Actually, that's true for both. The things that work and don't work, work in the specific situation that you've been in in the past. And your ability to like pattern match the past situations with your current situation and project it forward to figure out if what worked in the past might work again in the future is not something that you could teach in a class. It's something that comes from experience. Um, and that's why like really experienced like coaches in sports, I think are, are better than like less experienced coaches for the most part is because they've seen more permutations of the same thing play out over and over and over again. And I think that um, that's one of my motivations for continuing to like do this job is because I feel like I'm still like very early on in my product career and 
I, I can only imagine how much better I will get at this type of job by just continuing to get more iterations and more reps. Um, and I'm not going to be world class at anything most likely in my life. So if I'm going to try to be world class at anything, it might as well be something that seems to be getting more interesting the more reps I get in. Um, and I think that um, it's not for everyone. My advice for everyone that seeks to get into product management is to do it. Um, I've, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone out of trying to be a product manager. Um, I've actually tried to talk everyone into it because I think that um, there's going to be plenty of people that tell you no, that you can't do things and that you're not qualified to do things. And I just don't want to be one of those people first off. But second off, I want someone to get all of the excitement and encouragement they can get. And then if they can't um, get a product management job, that's that's out of my control. Like I tried to help. But then again, if they do get the product management job and, they, and then they like it, that's great for them. But if they get the job and they don't like it, then that's also good for them because now they found out something that they don't like. So I don't think anything, um, I've seen people from such, there's a, there's a group of PMs that I've been kind of like putting together. Um, it's not a paid course or anything. It's just like a free thing that uh, I got some startup PMs here in the Bay Area together on a call, um, kind of like once a month for the last few months. And we're all at startups for the most part. Well, I'm about to be at a much bigger one, but um i'll tell you that everyone had a very different background coming into product um everyone has their ups and downs with how they feel about product management i don't think i've ever met a single product manager that is not questioning whether product management is right for them uh i feel like everyone that makes like, me feel better about myself yeah and i you know honestly i think it kind of comes with the territory i think one of the skills of pms that make us good at product management is the constant questioning of the status quo it's like you're constantly looking at the existing way that things are structured and asking yourself, is there a better way to structure the things so that like the outcomes and the goals can better be succeeded, like reached? And I think we apply that in our personal lives for sure. So you're looking at your personal life all the time with the mindset that we call a product manager's mindset to some degree. But I, I don't think I've ever met a single PM that's like, yeah, like I know, even me, I'm, as you can tell, I'm very excited and passionate about this, but I will, t I will also be the first one to tell you that if I ever find something that seems to be like more aligned with what I want to spend my time doing, I will probably do that thing. Um, I just haven't found anything else yet that I, I can actually see myself spending all of my time doing. I like, I like that. Anybody can be a product manager. Everybody should try to be a product manager. Doesn't hurt to try, what do you have to lose? I mean, I tell yeah. people all the time, like, they're like, yeah, but it's like kind of scary because, you know, I've never had to like own a roadmap before. I've never had to like make strategic decisions about the things that we're going to build. And like, I've never like, if things have failed, I've never had like the, the responsibility and accountability for that. So like, do you think I could like do this? I'm like, you've made mistakes in your life, right? Like you've, you've like fucked up on some things. Like you've, You've learned things, you've done things well, you're clearly here, like you're in a position where I can look at your resume and tell you it's not an obvious no that you can't be a product manager. So what do you have to lose by trying? I mean, you, that's the exact mindset I went into it with, is like, if I, I have nothing to lose by trying, I know I don't wanna stay in customer support, I know I don't wanna work in finance, um, I don't want to, I don't want to be a founder. I, I was a founder and I failed as a founder and I was like, okay, maybe I'll do that again in the future at some point, but not right now. Um, 
so yeah, I think it's like anything. Career growths are like about zigzagging. And uh, I, Scott Belsky has a thing I like around how like it's like it's not an up up into the right line, but it's, it's like an S curve. It's a it's a, it's a series curve. of S curves. Exactly. It's just a, as long as your career has a positive slope to it, I think that's going to set you up for exponential returns in the long run. Hundred um, percent. Um, and it takes me it takes me back to the the rant that i had that started all of this which is like what you described is so again like elementary to how we learn as humans and it makes me think like product managers we are really just like persistent learners persistent questioners um everyone talks about all the soft skills that we have yeah there are best practices you can learn but frankly half the time they don't work in the companies that you go work at so like why go train yourself when there's so many people around you that hopefully that can can help you find a small opportunity even if it's not a product management role and title can give you an opportunity to try your hand at like you just said maybe owning a strategy for a very very tiny thing and or setting up some experiments and working with some people to run them and see if they succeed or fail all of which is pretty normal for a PM role, especially in like a, a web or a mobile or just any software company. Like just just try stuff. My <laughs> I I've coached multiple people into product roles, um, really just by saying that they should try it by looking at the work that they were doing in their prior role and be like, yeah, by association, you're basically doing aspects of the job already. Um, helping them with formulating that arguments to their boss and then just finding a vacancy and looking for it and pursuing it sorry um not applying to a mid-level or a senior level job at a large tech company that they really admire mm -hmm. um it took me two jobs to get to a job that is big enough and reputable enough as a company um I never thought I would ever work at a big company until I just happened to be working for one. I would totally, I don't think it's smart to go, to to decide you wanna go into a product manager role and then make like a, a, a highly paid PM job at Google your target for your next thing. It's like learn, learn start small, learn quickly and work your way there. Um, don't, just read the grades, take a course and think that it's solved for you. Yeah. And one of the things that I think anyone can do to better set themselves up for success as a PM, in my experience, um, is, is the soft skills of learning how to have a productive disagreement with someone, um, learning how to ask questions. Um, I think really like writing down assumptions or noting assumptions that you make as you're thinking about anything in life. Just like write down your assumptions, like list them in your head and just be like, okay, right now I'm making these X, Y, Z assumptions that are leading me to this conclusion. Now, if any of these assumptions would be wrong, I might revise my conclusion. And you could talk about the grocery store. You could talk about what to get for dinner. You could talk about literally anything, like what movie to watch. Um, and you could list the assumptions that you can like identify that are leading to your decision-making and then product is essentially just that on a different topic it's like what should we be building well you know you got all these assumptions that are going into what what should you be building and who's who cares about what and 
you know, there's like something in the job description that's about like owning the roadmap and like you're making assumptions right now as you're listening to this about what what it means to like own a roadmap. And I'll tell you that, uh, especially at startups, the founders are not going anywhere. Like they're going to be right in there with you actually owning that roadmap. So what does it mean to own a roadmap in a startup? Well, there's we, we could talk about that, but I think that the point I'm trying to make here is that there's certain assumptions that go into anything you do in life. And I think that one of the things you can do that no boot camp, uh, in my opinion, might be able to teach you or no like core online course, but you can just do it by writing and just like writing a lot uh, is listing out the assumptions that you make and why you make them. Um, I think Rosie agrees with you. <laughs> Uh, the other two questions, Brandon, so we had the, should everyone do it? The other two questions, can you remind me what those were? Um, I forget the second one, but I think we kind of covered it. I think the third one has been the one on my mind, which is like, you actually talked about it earlier for a bit, which is like, it, it, this field is interesting to you because you still feel very far from being an expert. And that is in itself kind of interesting and compelling for you to keep pursuing it, whatever. Um, I'm going to ask you a really dumb question. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> and I, I find myself asking myself that probably way too prematurely because I'm not that old of a person and I'm not that experienced of a professional, but I don't know if I want to like be a head of product at a large company. I, is that like the way we measure success? Is the way that we measure success as product managers having started a bunch of businesses? Is that then success as an entrepreneur or a product guy? Like what? Like what? What is it? What is success in this career? Um, which I also realize the irony of because I find myself asking, "What is the success of X?" all the time <laughs> in my job. Yeah. So the, the time the time frames with career planning are are clearly a lot longer than any sort of um, product uh, and project roadmap time horizon. So um, keeping my kind of like personal goals out of the, the equation, not because I'm not open to talking about it, but just because it's probably enough for us to have a, like a just an episode just about how to like figure out pro personal life goals and stuff. But I'd say career career goals wise. I knew as early as like college that I never really wanted to do like the traditional retirement thing when I was old. Um, I had some professors that were in their 60s and 70s that were still like they, they were still working and they seemed super excited and they talked to me about how they tried to retire and it was super boring and um, and they were like adding value to me as an, an 18, 19, 20 year old uh, when they were in their 70s. And I was like, you know what, that's like a really great long term goal for me to have is to just to like always be useful. Um, so I don't ever see myself like in the long term retiring and just like living on a golf course and not talking to people. That is a far more optimistic version of what I was going to say was, which is you're going to work until you're dead, <laughs> which is what I have always said, kind of ironically and jokingly. But I like always be useful as a more constructive version of that. I think staying relevant is uh, is really a motivating force for me is just to like not not become uh, deadwood uh, on, on society or something like that. Um, I don't want to be the guy saying we can't do it that way. Like young kids these days are terrible or whatever. Like I don't want to be that guy. Um, but on like a, you know, a short, more shorter, short to medium term uh, basis, I'd say um, 
I think there's a lot to be gained in life by by like voluntarily taking on more responsibility. Um, and whatever that means to you, I, I mean, I think like it's, it's good to know how much responsibility you can bear, um, without crumbling. And I think that for me, um, when I, when I was a founder, I felt like I took on more responsibility that I could carry. Uh, and it was a really good stress test. And I have kind of like more gradually been rebuilding, I think, since shutting down my startup and um, slowly taking on more responsibility and more um, kind of like ownership over things. And I have found it to be really rewarding to uh, to do that and to carry like hold myself accountable for for results for things as personally really rewarding for me. So I'm continuing. Uh, let's say I stay in product 10 years from now. Uh, I'm going to imagine I'd like to go into like higher leverage positions as I grow. So um, there's like ICE individual contributor routes and there's managerial routes um, there. I, you know, I'm currently a product manager as an individual contributor. I've only been an individual contributor. The only time I really managed other people was when, when I was a founder. Um, that didn't really count in my opinion. Um, so I've never been a full-time manager. I think that the question that I wonder about, and I'd love to hear your input on this because you have been in product longer than I have. Um, I'm imagining that there comes a point where um, as a product manager, as a product leader, um, VP product, head of product, whatever, I'm imagining that you can only have so much uh, impact on the direction of things without managing other people. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but it, as I move up in my career, I'm, I think, I think it's, there's more leverage in high in executive positions than in like individual contributor positions. I don't know if that's true for middle management. Uh, I guess I'll, I might find out if I move into middle management at some point, but, uh, if in 10 years I could be some kind of like VP of product, head of product. I wouldn't do that for compensation reasons or for uh, ego. I would do that to have a higher like impact and influence because I'm I'm imagining that it's just a higher leverage position. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't feel like I have an easy answer to that question just because again, it's so variable. It's so contingent on the type of company, the size of the company, the complexity of the product and the role that product just plays in kind of strategic leadership. But the thing that one of the things that I've actually really struggled with in my career is the thing that you brought up, which is like, it feels like in order to sort of have the most influence, you need to manage other people, which is to say, you you get a seat at the table as a product manager in the context of the thing that you're managing as a vp of products you're effectively responsible this is my best interpretation having never been a vp of product but having managed other product managers before you you are accountable not just for your scope but your scope is wider because you're also accountable for the scope of people underneath you and that kind of naturally gives you the visibility i put that in quotes because i don't know if by having so much scope you actually truly have the visibility into everything that's going on in your product um you probably also have to be experienced enough to be able to bounce between like that extremely high level thinking and know enough about what's going on at the middle level or even at the very low level 
in order to kind of be that strategic thought leader that a VP or a chief product officer or whatever has. But frankly, I also have found that after you've been doing product management for enough and you've worked in companies where there's a lot of other product managers and a lot of other products around you, you start to just naturally pick up on and observe the just interaction of your products or your features with other people's features. And you start to make inferences and understand the larger interconnectivity uh, of the, like, let's say larger ecosystem at Wayfair, where there were, as I said before, hundreds of product managers all working on very broad, but also very, very narrow parts of all the different parts of the e-commerce ecosystem that Wayfair worked in. Um, and you think about Wayfair is probably, I don't know, a some tiny fraction of the size of, let let's say, Amazon or Microsoft or Apple or Facebook, whatever. Um, but it's still really big. There's still hundreds of people all with their hand in the product. And I got to a point where I was working on a very, very narrow product space, but I, it was still broad enough where I had three reporting product managers reporting into me. I had enough visibility of everything that was going on around me so where I was kind of able to, but also kind of forced to in order to iterate my products, negotiate and understand the strategic kind of network effects of my product and how it affected other products and how those things together affected the overall customer experience. You kind of have to do that to be successful, but I was still like a senior product manager. Um, and that that gets that that's where like titles and stuff get really messy where mm -hmm. i could have argued that like i was playing at a level of complexity and strategic influence that would have been a head of product role at a much tinier startup yeah but because of the size and the maybe compensation that i was making maybe not i don't really know the 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 level that i was playing on like that that was the that was the reality of that title but again, that experience made it so helpful for me when I went from that company to a much smaller 100-person startup uh, where the products that I was working at was as complex as one very notable, but a, a, a division of all of Wayfair. You could argue that abstract is like one component or maybe two, three components of all of the other components that made up Wayfair's entire operation, not to downplay or oversimplify the product that I work on now, because Abstract is a whole different boatload of complexity in a different way. But I think it's all to say like, your title, your level of influence, again, is so variant on the role you play, the complexity of the product or the complexity of the product ecosystem in the business that you work in. And, Rosie had a lot to say about that. I don't know if you could hear her. <laughs> she yawned a little bit. It was very cute. Now she's chewing on the bedspread. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, it's all it's all just so highly variable. And it, it again takes me back to the thing that started this whole conversation for me, which is like, do people who don't understand this know what they're getting themselves into? <laughs> to be yeah, honest. Prob probably not to some degree, right? And I think that sometimes that uh, ignorance is bliss or like being naive can like children take on things uh ignorant people naive people take on things that um people who like know better might like tell them not to or whatever i'm an experiential learner so it's like when people tell me not to do something 
sometimes they make sense and then I'm like, I don't do it. But sometimes they tell me not to do things and it's like, I don't agree with the reasons or I'm like, yeah, but you're not really getting it. So I, I'm just going to do it and like figure it out for myself. And if it's not good for me, now I know experientially why it's not good for me. And that's the only way I learn. <laughs> it can be a little bit of a challenging um, personality trait that that's the way I learn. I wish I could better learn from like textbooks and like stuff like that, but for I'm sure. an experiential learner. But one question I have for you, and maybe this is going to tie into the last topic, which is like, where does this, where, where does product, where do product management careers when they're successful um, go? What, one thing I'm missing actually, because I have been a first PM at two small startups, I have, we've had like executive at both companies, I was like one, like my manager was like the person running product management or something like that. Um, so I've never seen what it's like to work several levels beneath, quote unquote, um, like an executive of a product team or like a VP of product or chief product officer. I have assumptions that I make in my head about what they might be doing on a daily basis. But I'm curious what you think um, some of like the key contributions or the value proposition of a VP product, chief product officer to an individual contributing PM might be like from you can think back to Wayfair or if you just have general thoughts on what a product executive does to like really set up an org for success. Yeah, it's a really interesting question because I found myself asking that question quite bluntly like what what is this guy doing and why is he like paid so much um not not to discredit any previous like vps or heads uh, that i've worked for because frankly i've worked for a lot of really great people at wayfair um what it, what i've really seen the value of a role like that it has been in is establishing product culture like the the simplest way that the vp of pro the vp of storefront products now that is only one of probably three or four major product divisions at wayfair but he was a vp he he explained his role as i hold on i gotta let rosie out i'll be right back yeah. <laughs> sorry about that um she usually she's been really good about going downstairs by herself but she was very confused and i had to carry her downstairs which i haven't had to do in a while i left you a little uh a little surprise when you do editing wonderful <laughs> um i hope that's not i don't know um <laughs> she's also like 37 pounds now so it's like difficult to carry her down the stairs uh, yeah. so I, miss when was smaller. I used to be able to just like scoop him up with one arm that was really nice <laughs> that's funny um so yeah what, what i was saying before is that the VP of product at Wayfair that I worked for, um, and he's not the only head of product that I work for. Um, I, I remember him at one point explaining to me, like, the most important thing he can do is hire great people and keep the great people around. And in order to do that, he had established, like, what does it mean to be a great product manager? What do we need to do to keep instilling product values that are going to help pe more people be great? And like, like the, the like the first part, it's how do we set the right standards and know that we're bringing in great people? Um, so that's where I see the value of that leadership role in a company like that. And I was three levels 
the, the, the most senior I got, I was two levels beneath him. Um, but he was also not at the top. He was one of a couple VPs that were reporting, I think, directly into the CEO of Wayfair, um, who's also one of the founders. Um, but even like when I first started at Wayfair, I was a mid-level product manager coming in, having no prior experience at a company that big. I reported into a an associate director who reported into to a director who reported into a VP who reported into I think the CTO at the time. Like I, I was like five levels down, and that was when the company was probably a quarter of the size that it is now. Um, so it's only gotten even more matrixed and complex. But it's all the same thing. Um, you find that the higher up you look, the the concern becomes less about shipping great products and it's more about cultivating a culture and a skill set among your teams so that your team can ship great products um so the team the team becomes the product like yes you, you have to treat the the organization as the product that you're managing and identify like different le there's still like levers and success metrics and all of those things but rather than looking outward you're looking kind of inward yeah, another director that I worked for that I really liked used to always joke that like if we were doing our job super well, he should just be able to go on a beach mm -hmm. and just like watch things happen. Um, but obviously, there's work to be done to help make sure that everyone's doing really great work, knowing the the things that they need to be doing to do great work, knowing what skills they need to improve on, and also um, just helping and making people feel psychologically safe um, while doing all of those things. There, there's a lot to that and there's a lot that involves like hurting all the cats of all of your direct reports to make sure that they're helping with doing that especially in a company that large where we, you have directors reporting into directors reporting into directors so um it's like a whole like crazy dance and cat herding and collective unconscious exercise i can't think of better ways to describe it that happens when you're at a company that large in a role that senior. And I guess that takes me back to, is that what we all want to do at the end of the day, make great product teams, or do we want to just keep shipping great products? And when do you know when to just like stop and then go build your own thing? Um, my gut is that I'm not going to know until I have a great enough idea that warrants stopping working for other people and then going to work for myself but who the fuck knows yeah i think you know i imagine that if i never started a company i would still be looking at starting a company as some kind of inevitability um mm -hmm. i i've gained so much respect and appreciation for all of the hard uh grunt work that founders have to do to uh build great companies and I genuinely wonder sometimes if I would be able to do that. Um, I mean, not sometimes. Like, I, I think anyone who thinks, who just assumes they'll be a great founder is just like anyone who assumes they'll An be asshole. a great founder. Um, there's a de it's like, yeah, I could, I could be a great founder. I think there's a certain amount of arrogance uh, in that statement by anyone who makes it. And I think that just like anything else, the way to be a great founder is to be a founder first. And then you could be a great founder by doing a great job as a founder. But the for me personally, I um, kind of come into grips with maybe I'm not like I'm. I just don't feel the need to be a founder again anytime soon. And it's actually kind of nice because it's another one of those things that I've eliminated uh, off the list for now. And things that are like very 
ambitious, but used to be like things I didn't think I was interested in, like becoming an executive of some sort are now things that do seem kind of appealing to me because you can like use existing resources and you could use existing businesses that are already functioning and try to like take them to the next level. And in a lot of ways, I think that's more how my brain is kind of actually built. It's like uh, when you're a founder, you have to have like the ability to go from like zero to something. And then you keep having to like go from something to 10x that to 10x that to 10x that. And then that pretty much has to go on for like the first like five to 10 years of the company's life for you to even have a remote chance of success. And the truth is that like each of those 10x leaps require like different tools, like different processes and different ways of thinking. So like really great founders have these like insane abilities to like to do that, uh, especially if they want to keep running their company. Um, whereas I think executives like I read uh, Bob Iger's biography. He was the guy that was Disney CEO for like 15 years. Probably. And he he is like a legendary CEO who was never a founder, as far as I can tell. Um, and reading his biography kind of like reignited a certain uh, interest that I've had in just like reg like quote unquote regular executive life, not being a founder. Mm. Um, and I think that what he was able to do with Disney is as impressive as anything I've seen founders do with like their own companies from the ground up. Oh yeah, no, but Bob Iger like just blows my mind in terms of his savvy and his ability to take something and make it far greater than it was before um but but it's interesting to me that you're exploring that as like your kind of new version of a possible future for yourself um because i'm in i'm honestly kind of starting to think of myself in a different direction like i and this is probably by nature of being at wafer for so long like i was very much on a track to like maybe be a associate director of product then a director of product or whatever comes next following that executive track and as i've mentioned to you on multiple of our our conversations i find myself wanting to do more with my hands and maybe that will result in me wanting to found my own company not because i want to be a founder or a great founder but because i honestly the motivation is to just be able to build something on my own um not because i want to found and grow a great company i don't care if the company grows to three people or 300 people i just want to be able to build something that is was my original idea and see it succeed in whatever market it ends up succeeding in uh, and that's becoming my motivation and i'm using my product management career to an extent as a way to learn about things that work and don't work in their respective markets and fields and technical approaches and interpersonal relationships in those implications so that when I do come across an idea that actually sticks for me and is in a realm of possibility for me to go build either by myself or with some close friends or whatever, then I'll just know that I did it on my own or with the people that the only the people that I needed for it to be successful rather than with all of the other kind of stakes that come with working for somebody else's thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I think you'll do really well with whatever it is. Like when an idea sticks with you, I know you're not you're you're very picky about the ideas, which is great. Should, <laughs> it's gonna determine how you spend a lot of your time. So if an I uh, I heard some advice a while back that I think has become more rings more true in my ears as the years go as the years go by, which is like the the reason to start a company 
there's no better reason. There's no other reason to start a company than not being able to not start that company. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you, if you can't not start the company, it's like, I, I, I'd rather, I'd rather not do anything than not, than like start this company. Like this starting totally. this company is the best thing I could possibly do with my time. I think that's a great reason to start a company. Um, but yeah, there's, for me, I think I, I may have started a company for arguably the wrong reasons. Cause I, I was just like, not very happy on the path that I was on and I needed to mm. like get off the finance path. And I think starting a company was my ticket to that career change. Um, but I think that you're, um, much more mature. You have a lot more experience uh, and resources than I had when I started my company. I was like 22 or whatever. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I was very, sorry, dumb. I didn't mean to laugh at you starting a company at 22. Plenty of people have started their companies at even younger ages than that. And some have been very successful Facebook. Um, yeah, I mean, well, it was, it was, it's, just, it's just like so helpful. I think starting a company is like the ultimate, like stress test for what you're good at and what you're not good at. Cause you're, yeah. you're like literally not holding back punches on anything and you're just trying to take, you're trying to make something successful that shouldn't by default exist. Um, so for me, for example, I realized I had some like really big blind spots and like figuring out how to, how to like build a team or like how to pick like partners or how hmm. to prioritize what to work on or how to allocate resources. And like, there was some like really big gaps in my ability to like do those things. And I, I agree with your um, previous statement about how product management has been a way for you to like build up some skill sets. And I think that like if I had my experience now and I wanted to start that company now, I would have probably still made a bunch of mistakes, but like a lot of them would not have been like the same mistakes. Um, mm. So, you know, like if someone's wondering if they want to be a product manager, I say you should do it. If someone's saying they want to be a founder, I also say you should do it. Like, uh, it's, it's just, just have an idea that doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's, it's got it. And you can't be married. Um, again, I'm not going to say like, you can't do anything, but like, what I've observed is like a lot of people that are really successful founders don't get married to like one direction. Um, they get married to like the problem that they want to solve and like where they want to see the world moving. And then mm. they're very flexible in like the approach because the market will tell you what, what's going to work now and what's not going to work now. Um, 100%. and timing, timing is really key with anything. Um, there's a bunch of really good companies that were started at the wrong time. And they failed. Um, mm -hmm. and then someone started those same exact companies like ten years later, and it was like the right time. And the market, the market's the ultimate judge of that. So yeah. um, you just gotta be a you gotta adjust. Um, but I'm looking forward to being a sounding board for any ideas that you have, and um, I'm sure that when one sticks, you'll actually do a really good job with it because you have hey, uh, thanks, man. great great experience and uh, skills to bring to the table. I have many very important skills. <laughs> um have you ever seen the movie napoleon dynamite yeah <laughs> got skills i always think of the quote in that movie anytime someone says about anything about the skills that they have and i always find myself wanting to respond with bow hunting skills computer hacking skills i think those are the ones that he says in the movie it always I guess go back and watch that. It's really, it does not hold up in 2020, but it's kind <laughs> of hilarious.